Exit for Podcast is brought to you by the Cage Club Network. For all things comics, movies, media, music, and more, check out the Cage Club Network. That's cageclub.me. And welcome back to all new, all different Uncanny X's for podcast, the show where we take a look at the Uncanny X-Men comic book franchise as it continues its 80s market dominance. We keep a keen eye to the Marvel UK offices and examine Captain Britain here on this edition of X's for podcast. With me always is Kevo. Hey, everybody. Kevo, we have been examining Captain Britain for so long now. I mean, not really because this is only like the 40 something episode, but we have been examining Captain Britain for so long now. No, we have and we've especially been examining this portion of his story for such a long time. This has been such a long meandering story and unfortunately it, it does not die a quick death either. No. And it's a really interesting thing because Captain Britain, when I think back on how those volumes came out and the way they sort of sandwiched it all together, in retrospect I guess I understand that they were doing the best they could do with what there was. I recently found myself reading the Marvel Man family finest collection that Marvel published shortly after acquiring the rights to the series in order to get myself psyched up for a reread of Miracle Man by the original author. And we're going to talk a little bit about Marvel Man and Miracle Man here on Captain Britain during the run by the original writer and Alan Davis, but it really was maybe just like a British comics thing. It was just a little bit of a different market than American comics, and it seemed like it was a lot more okay for really nothing to happen in an issue and everyone to just sort of like enter rooms and be like oh I have to go and just like leave rooms and like that seems to really be okay it was weird but yeah we are really approaching the last days of these stories ever being referenced the only major villain to return from this era is going to be Slaymaster in a very different capacity so I'm personally very excited to say goodbye to this iteration of the great captain and prepare for the multiverse that Marvel UK brings us under the new direction helmed by Alan Davis and his complete redesign of the character. Kevo, as we charge toward the very last pages of Volume 2 of Captain Britain, The Siege of Camelot, we've come so far with this character from random scientist kid who fucked his parents to death, as we determined in a previous episode, but albeit a guy with a lot of emotional baggage and a weird family life to a guy with a lot of emotional baggage and a weird family life trapped in Camelot. Where are you at? Pretty much there. There isn't a ton of characterization to get from Captain Britain, especially in this last installment. His only contribution is swearing up and down that the island where King Arthur's tomb is cannot possibly be on Earth because he spent a couple of months standing on one beach and couldn't see it. So that means it's not on Earth, guys. I bet my life on it. And that's pretty much all he does. He just stands around otherwise for most of this. It is really unfortunate, but in so many ways, if it weren't for this continued public 
application of the character as a backup and a backup, as a bit of a sidekick, as a sidekick, over and over again, all of these layers of secondary syndrome. If it weren't for this era of forgettability, I don't think we would have gotten the great multiverse expansion story that makes up the next big volume we're going to be taking a look at, the Captain Britain Omnibus. Then I guess we should be grateful for it. Today we're going to be taking a look at the final days of Captain Britain's two and three page backup story status in the pages of Hulk UK 44 through 64, which were published from January of 1982 through May of 1982. The works here were written, edited, and drawn all sort of together in conjunction by Des Skins and John Stokes. And really, this was meant to be a Black Knight vehicle, not a Captain Britain vehicle. So far, we've seen a lot of ups and downs, a lot of sort of Tolkien magic. It's all very, well, it's all very British, you know? It's very pip-pip, but like Hobbit pip-pip. And so we're not going to see any of these bad guys again, Necronom and the Six and... Well, interesting you should say Necronom. Okay, we're going to see shades of him in a run on Excalibur, but I would not call it the same character. So, but overall, all of these hordes of hell that are invading other world and all of this stuff with Camelot and blah, 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 you're just like shaking your head yes, really? Okay. This is all just done. As a matter of fact, the only characters I can think of from this era that are going to come up ever again are Courtney Ross, Jamie and Betsy Braddock, Mastermind, the Killer Robot, and Die Thomas who gets his own series. Well, ugh to that, first of all. The Knights of Pendragon. But Walker? We really never see Walker again? You may, but definitely not in the pages of Captain Britain. Uh, I'm glad we got to see him again in this episode, though. I thought he was just going to be, like, gone forever after walking away with that stick. But now, like, I feel I have some closure, and we met the other Walkers. It would have been a really unfulfilling closure on Walker British Ranger. So I was really glad that he came back. Where we are in this story is sort of a really kind of boring point to enter on. In issue 45 of Hulk UK, finally re-empowered by the Amazing Merlin, Black Knight and Captain Britain begin the last leg of their trek into Otherworld, having all of the pieces in place. They have King Arthur, Merlin the Mystic, you know, Necronomenomenomenomena. The issue even starts with a proclamation that the quest has taken a dramatic turn. And to that end, it makes a lot of sense that this would be the beginning of a very different phase of the story. And hopefully it comes together with a little bit more focus than we've been at right now. Necronomenomenomenomenomenomenomenomenomenomenomenomenomenomenomenomenomenomenomenomenomenomenomenomenomenomenomenomenomenomenomenomenomenomenomenomenomenomenomenomenomenomenomenomenomenomenomenomenom
I actually felt that way more than anywhere else on Hulk UK 50's backup story. The bizarre detour versus Gargantua. I was just like, what? <laughs> no, why? <laughs> and all the stuff with like the dragon pearl and everything. That confused me a little because even when he eventually gives it up, I don't get the feeling that he is doing it selflessly based on his words so it's just sort of a like weird sojourn that we just didn't need and i found some of these names impossible to read let alone pronounce we have cormac caradoc necronom carod dur we have gwent herney hanmel gale vortigan we have so many absurd tolkien names and i just kept thinking to myself wow this is a whole lot of characters to introduce and give no personality to when captain Britain hasn't had any dialogue in four issues. And like every single new character that gets introduced, whether it's Ashtaroth the dragon or Gafail the knight guarding the gate of Camelot, it's always they're like, oh, this person is the greatest and they will not fail. And like, I feel like someone should just be jimming the camera every time someone says that. Like, that's how you know that person is about to die in two pages. Enjoy. Sadly, Captain Britain's portion of the remaining story is, well, maybe mercifully so, brief and forgettable. Captain Britain definitely winds up taking a backseat so that the true heroes here can be Walker, Black Knight, and in many ways, Erlen, I was about to say Erlen and Martha. That's actually why Batman and Superman can't defeat Captain Britain. Their hero was also named Martha. So, Kevo, forgetting Captain Britain for a moment, zeroing in on Black Knight, when we started this, you were like, who is this guy? And then you read a little bit and you were like, I hate this guy. And then you read some more and you were like, no, still don't get it. And here we are at the end of the story. Do you get it? No, I really don't. Having a bit of a gap between readings and also having contests of champions to break things up sort of refreshed Black Knight for me. And I even when I first started the reading for this episode was like, oh, he's fine. You know, I, I, I like him a lot more now. He's a lot better. And then he just started like being shit again. And the stuff with the dragon pearl was annoying. And I ultimately was just not having it with Black Knight once again. And it's funny that you even asked because I made a note of that fact that I had sort of been back on the Black Knight side for a little while. And by like the sixth issue back, I was already like, no, no. Captain Britain and the Black Knight are going to mostly steer clear of each other. There's a couple of little brief, oh, hey, oh, hey, kind of stuff throughout the 90s. I think there's a pretty strong crossover in the pages of New Excalibur once Chris Claremont is back on the title and the character. But I think one of the biggest hurdles this era faced was that it wasn't even really successful there and then at the time. That's the biggest hurdle these stories faced. Captain Britain was nobody's bestseller. He was never a hit. And they sort of pushed these out as best they could, knowing what they were working with. They were working with a hero who was engineered to fulfill a demographic purpose. Kevo, we followed Captain Britain through a bunch of stories where we felt he wasn't particularly heroic to now these stories where we specifically feel he is not being treated as a hero. It's been a pretty up and down journey for the Great Lion of Albion. Knowing that we're about to enter an era that's pretty much a reset on the character, how do you feel about the last year of storytelling he just went through as Black Knight's side character? Uh, not satisfied. 
unified at all. And I mean, it's obvious from the fact that all of these issues have Black Knight emblazoned across the top. It's not a Captain Britain-focused title, so it does exactly what it says on the tin. It focuses heavily on the Black Knight and his journey and... You know, he ultimately comes full circle, he gets his sword back in the end, which is super cute, good for him, he made all these new friends and he's gonna hang out with them for a while, but Captain Britain didn't really do much, he's just like a guy who happened to see something and sort of was put in magical witness protection and had to be extradited. You know, for England's champion, he did sure need to be resurrected a number of times to do anything. I'm a humongous Captain Britain fan and that is why I made sure we covered him from the start but I do find myself a little bit at a loss. When I decided to go back and read Captain Britain it was with the earliest available stories at that point which were if I'm not mistaken Marvel superheroes 387 and 388 which then led into the Daredevils and the rest of the run by the original author but these adventures weren't collected till many years later. A few of the stories like we discussed were reprinted such as Captain Britain's origin which was chopped up and shoved into Marvel Tales one way or another. We also had the interesting introduction of Arcade, which ultimately was a Captain Britain villain and then became an X-Men villain when Chris Claremont couldn't get more Captain Britain off the ground here in the US. It's fascinating that that early story sees Captain Britain drawn by Major Claremont collaborator John Byrne, as opposed to Major Claremont collaborator Alan Davis, who Claremont would also have a long run on Uncanny X-Men with, as well as a run on Excalibur. Kevo, before we close the book, and I do mean quite literally, volume two, before we close the book on everything Captain Britain before his major reboot in the pages of Marvel Superheroes UK 377, do you have any last words for the captain before we part? Uh, yeah, I do. Justice for Moondog. Seriously. Moondog died finally, actually this time, you guys. And like... I even respect the fact that all of the elves are drawn exactly the same, so there's an issue where you think he's shot through the heart earlier in this, but it turns out that it's just like Night Sparrow or something. Whatever, they all have names like that. And like, sure, you can you can mislead us once again, but then you actually finally did it! You did it! You killed Moondog! Ugh, I was not happy. And from what I understand, his replacement, Bixby or whatever, is not, like, the best. So Jackdaw might be the least loved piece of Captain Britain canon ever. In this comic, the role of Spritel will be played by an elf, apparently. Yeah, this is Captain Britain gets his very own Gurgi, so I'm very eager to get through that. We're going to be taking a look at the next major era of Captain Britain in, once again, Giant Jump. The series was continuously published in 6 to 12 issue blocks of UK titles such as Marvel Superheroes, Marvel's The Daredevils, and others before finally settling into his own title, Captain Britain, and then eventually coming stateside in the pages of Excalibur. Everything we've discussed so far can be found in two volumes, Captain Britain Volume 1, Birth of a Legend, and Captain Britain Volume 2, The Siege of Camelot. Additionally, we did discuss Captain Britain's appearances in the Contest of 
of Champions in a multi-part special where we took a look at, well, the contest of champions and boy was it special. The only other thing I guess is I really hope at some point, Brian, in that way that a lot of superheroes like to brag about having met each other, I really hope that he tries to be like, I met King Arthur at some point because like, bitch, he sent you home. You didn't even talk to him. You know, we've talked about it a little bit here and there, but man, we're about to be trapped with it because we've had situations over and over where it's like, oh, nope, it's Frankenstein. Oh, nope, it's the Loch Ness Monster. And we kind of just keep being like, yeah, I guess that's the monster. But Captain Britain is going to wind up meeting King Arthur so many times and he's going to repeatedly not recognize Brian. And we're going to get to this point where it's going to start to be like, are you doing this on purpose? Like, there's always that person that's like, wait, who are you again? Oh, nice to meet you. And you're like, we've met six times. It's Jane and Alex's sister on Happy Endings not recognizing Penny over and over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it gets to the point where Captain Britain wrote his third grade book report on Merlin and King Arthur. And they're both a little bit like, wait, which one are you? Captain? Captain Ook. Captain Ook. Got it. It's, it's, oh, it's pronounced Ookay. Okay. Captain Ookay. You proud of that? You know, I sat here just kind of like looking at you for a minute, waiting for you to react. And when nothing happened, nothing happened. Hey everyone, I'm Taryn, and this is Artist of the Atom Costume Corner. It's good to be back, and I'm looking forward to geeking out with you guys talking about X-Men costumes and designs. I'll be going over one of my personal favorites of Charles Xavier's Fab Five X-Men, and that's Iceman, aka Bobby Drake. The youngest of the X-Men and wisecracking joker of the group, he's got a rather impressive power set of molecular manipulation of snow and ice. Turns out, he's similar to another elemental manipulator in the Marvel Comicsverse for a reason. According to Stan Lee, Iceman was inspired in part by the Human Torch. It works well since having an elemental member of the X-Men brings a balance to the team that benefits their powers individually and as a group. Being able to manipulate his outward appearance with ice results in Iceman having a very basic yet distinguishable costume identity, much like the Human Torch. So Iceman's first appearance in Stan Lee and Jack Kirby's Uncanny X-Men is met with a rather uncanny valley look. Before he could polish his abilities and appearance, Iceman was represented as a walking, sometimes faceless snowman who can propel snow and ice powers almost as an extension of his own body. He was given a pair of yellow shorts and boots, though most of the time it was only his yellow boots that remained physically separate from his snow form, which didn't help make his initial mutant appearance any more human. At one point, Lee and Kirby make him go so far as to dress himself up as a snowman, complete with a top hat and a broom, to diffuse a conversation between him and Professor X about handling a more challenging, serious training curriculum. Eventually, Iceman controls his powers and glosses himself over with the polished ice look that will last for decades in his comic career. He gets some sort of upgrade in X-Men number 39 when Jean Grey designs new costumes for the whole team. He exclaims in one moment, even I got new boots and gloves. But why, Genie? Uh, yeah, why, Genie? It's kind of hard to tell he even has gloves. Do his hands get cold in his ice form? Does it enhance his abilities to control his ice powers in any way? I don't know, but overall he stands out like the bright humanoid icicle that he is, and his powers can even go so far as icing over the team-oriented garments he is wearing. Later on, as a founding member of the Champions, Iceman creates a new costume that is supposedly only seen in his civilian form. It's a bright blue and white combo with trunks, gloves, and boots with a big white V descending down his torso to meet his belt with a big ol' C for Champions on it. While it's a rather unique heroic costume, it doesn't seem to show from what I've seen when he busts out into his ice form 
uniform. We still get that distinguished Iceman look that includes his iced over trunks, belts, and boots. But don't get me wrong, I believe that penciler John Byrne did a great job of creating a new look that defined Iceman as being more than one of Xavier's students. The new costume design signifies Bobby Drake's growth as a hero, showing off his adaptability in a different team setting and social environment. The costume also implicates the fact that heroic appearances matter to Iceman and that he desires to be recognized and perceived beyond his young age and icy exterior. The same thing goes for his time as a member of the Defenders in Defenders number 125. However, Iceman returns to white boots and trunks and the occasional gloves. They're still covered with ice in his mutant form, but for the most part, penciler Don Perlin portrays Iceman gallivanting around with Beast and Angel with just the bare minimum. Without a unique full-bodied costume, Iceman's look reverts back to a simple appearance from his champion's costume. Overall, my personal thoughts on Iceman is that the lack of extreme costume changes work well enough to make him stand out from his fleshy compatriots. His look is solidified in the Marvelverse early on, and apparently works in so much that he seems to go through the least amount of alterations, except for when Kirby distanced Iceman from resembling the abominable snowman. His civilian appearance is also rather modest at most, lacking any sort of outlandish designs, but still has a heroic feel to it all, especially the champion's costume. I'd have to say that's probably my favorite uh, rendition of Iceman because honestly, it does make him seem a whole lot more mature, responsible, and a dignified member of a bigger heroic team. Iceman's mutant form is rather fixed in place for now, and I can't wait to share what kinds of designs Bobby will have later on in the next session about him. Until next time, you can find me on my social media pages like Twitter and Instagram under the handle at TaranitEnigmaArt, that is T-A-R-Y-N-E-N-I-G-M-A underscore art, and be sure to check out the cool things I draw for Kid Riot at KidRiotComics.com, and it's also on Facebook as well, so be sure to check it out. So I did also want to bring up one other thing. You were part of a three-part episode recently, the Contest of Champions, where we covered the Contest of Champions. And we had an incredible number of hosts, and it was a lot of fun to edit that. But more than that, everybody saw an image of Union Jack and was like, LOL, that guy's wearing a Union Jack. What's his name? Union Jack? And I had to be like, yes. Yeah. And everybody was sort of like, what do you mean his name is Union Jack? You guys are aware that counter to what Captain Britain constantly says, there are other UK superheroes, right? Oh, I'm not. So there's actually a number of Marvel UK superheroes, whether it's titles that are not yet Marvel, like the aforementioned Marvel Man, which is now owned by the Marvel Comics Corporation, or it's other comics over at Marvel UK. You see, in the 90s, Marvel UK sort of happened again, kind of. And you got amazing books like Death's Head 2, Fallen Angels, and recently, about five years ago, Marvel reached into those libraries pulled out a bunch of those characters and released an eight-part crossover miniseries called The Revolutionary War, in which the Marvel UK line reunited for a massive event. It was a lot of fun. Of course, Captain Britain was part of it, and hopefully someday we will be covering it. But Marvel UK is actually an interesting line. As a matter of fact, Death's Head 2 just got a new miniseries on the stands right now. I picked up both covers of number one because I just couldn't pick. The first cover seems to have Wiccan and Asgardian 
in on it, which is a lot of fun. So I'm interested to see where that goes. Ooh. But we have not seen the end of the Marvel UK, nor have we seen the last of its heroes. And Kevo, until we come back to the pages of Marvel UK, where can everybody find you online? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Kevo Really, K-E-V-O-R-E-A-L-L-Y. Or you can find me on the Facebook page for our podcast, Husbands Talking More or Less, at Official HTML. You can also find me producing super cool, super fun, super inclusive superhero stories over at KidRideComics.com. As always, you guys can find me here on this network on shows like HTML, like Kevo said, or now and again, where I talk about pop music with my childhood best friend, Chris Podcasts. Don't forget to check out my music project, Action Duo, over at Facebook.com slash Action Duo, or me on Instagram at NicoAction, that's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. All right, guys, until we're back here, we will see you guys and, you know, Staff of Might, Amulet of Right, and to the multiverse and Captain UK. Smashing! Smashing!